Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. They were more scared of the world than they were of God. That is a major problem that we have in supposed Christian circles right now today. People are more scared of what the world will do to them if they follow God than what they're scared of God will do to them if they don't follow Him. You think I feel 100% comfortable going to Planned Parenthood on the first Saturday of the month to pray against abortion standing right outside that facility? Sometimes it's not very easy. But I'm not so scared of it that I'm going to tell God, no, I won't do it. God, has that place come down already? Have you already taken it down? Well, then I'm not going. You know, that's kind of the attitude. Friends, I go there and I pray and people come with me. We go there and people hate me for it. And people write emails and they say nasty, threatening things. But I still go there because God told me to do it. I don't let the world dictate to me what I will and will not do because of my being scared of the world. I fear the Lord God more. And we gotta, we got to get on board with those who are doing the work. But these men of Succoth were more afraid of the enemy than they were of God. And their response were, was, if you don't already have these two kings in your hands, then we're not helping. That makes me sad. It makes me sad because there's a lot of people like this. There's a lot more people that need to realize, hey, look at those guys working. We need to get behind them. We need to support them. That's one of the reasons why we support Dove Schwartz when he goes to Africa. He's going soon. We help him go. I've been with him before to Africa. I've been to Nigeria, and we go preach the gospel. We need to get behind that and help. Judges 8 and 7. So Gideon said, for this cause, when the Lord has delivered Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. Then he went up from there to Penuel and spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered. So he also spoke to the men of Penuel, saying, When I come back in peace, I will tear down this tower. Okay, he's mad now. (laughs) Now Gideon's mad. Go back to that map, the map there. You can see how Gideon went past Succoth farther east to Penuel. And Penuel reacted the same way because they were afraid the Midianites would come back west against them. Now Gideon was, he was soft in his response to the Ephraimites, but now he flipped. And now he's being harsh. What changed? Okay, Ray, you made this big speech about being soft, and now he's being angry. What happened here? He was harsh against Succoth and Penuel because their stance was actually adding to Israel's oppression. There's nothing wrong with the righteous getting firm with those who make trouble against the righteous. Now, I'm very soft when I need to be, but this right now in this scenario that we're talking about is life and death. People are being killed. Israel had been oppressed and starving for seven years. It's time to be firm. 
Now, Gideon, he did not ask these men of Succoth and Penuel, he didn't ask them to go out and fight. He didn't say, come out and run out with me. All he said was, could you give some bread? He didn't ask them for horses and weapons. All he asked was for bread. And if you ask me, that's not asking much. But by refusing to help, they had become an enemy of Israel. An enemy of Israel. Because they were actually helping to facilitate the possibility of more oppression staying there. And that's why Gideon is so mad. Since Gideon was commanded to remove Israel's enemy, then that's why he said, when I come back, I'm going to tear you all up. Do you all remember the harsh rebuke in the song of Deborah in Judges 5? It was a harsh rebuke that was against all the tribes that refused to help fight in the attack against the Canaanites. In this rebuke, it says, Reuben, why did you sit among your sheepfolds? Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. Dan remained on their ships. Asher considered at the seashore, while Zebulun and Naphtali jeopardized their lives to the point of death. They jeopardized their lives for you, and you just stayed out what you were doing. You just kept, yeah, we just got our little own thing going. These tribes, Zebulun and Naphtali in that chapter, they were fighting for all of Israel. And so the tribes that did not help, they were rebuked sharply for not helping. Now, Succoth and Peniel, they had their chance, and they made their choice. But now in refusing to turn and help, they're left with a warning of judgment that is coming to tear them down. I want you to take notice what Gideon said in response to Succoth and Peniel's doubt when he said in verse 7, look at verse 7, he said, when the Lord has, you see that? When the Lord has delivered. Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand. When he has. Gideon did not say if the Lord delivers them. He said when he has. You hear the faith in his tone? He believes he's going to get them. He knows he's going to get them. You can hear the confidence in his words. Friends, I want you to zero in on that for just a minute because this is how believers talk. This is how believers talk. This is the way we speak. We, we shouldn't moan and whine, well, I hope God helps me. Well, I hope I get those kings. I, I just, I don't, I, I'll, I'll do my best. I, I will when he has given them to me. You hear that? I hope he does. Oh, I hope he does. You know, you realize we have redefined the word hope. You know, hope is a sure thing. I, my, the blessed hope, Jesus Christ, he's a sure thing. Now we turned it into, oh, I hope it doesn't rain today. We have messed that word up. This is not how believers talk. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the what? I want you all to say that word with me because we have to get this. Now faith is the assurance. Everybody say it again. I, I like it. Faith is the assurance. Do you know what assurance is? It means it's going to happen. Okay? <laughs> Look how Gideon is acting. When he gives them to me, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Has Gideon caught these kings yet? Up to this point? No, he has not. But he's speaking confidently that he will. And don't you just know that the men of Succoth and Peniel are thinking, those Midianites are going to rip you up, man. You'll never get them. Those men believe those kings are going to come back through. That's why they're not helping, given the bread. And so that's why Gideon also said in verse 9, 
Look what he says in verse 9. He says, when I return safely, when I return in peace, means I'm coming back. Ain't nothing happening to me. He's very assured here, I will tear down this tower. Gideon is trusting what God said. Gideon is not listening to what everybody else says. Do you hear me? He's trusting what God told him. He's not listening to what everybody else is saying. I know you turn on the news, and you listen to all this stuff, and within 10 minutes, you're upset. You've lost hope. And oh, what's everything coming to? Well, what's going to happen with this? You're listening to what everybody else says. Listen to what God says. You know, when you turn on the news, it's not falling apart. It's coming together. It was prophesied the world's going to go this way. Don't worry. God's got this. Okay, don't get all worked up. Listen to what God tells you, not what everybody else says. Gideon is trusting in God because he's got that promise that he's going to take the Midianites out. Judges 8 and 10. Now Zeba and Zalmunna were at Karkor, and their armies with them, about 15,000, all who were left of all the army of the people of the east, for 120,000 men, that's a lot, who drew the sword had fallen. Then Gideon went up by the road of those who dwell in tents on the east of Noba and Jogbeha, and he attacked the army while the camp felt secure. When Zeba and Zalmunna fled, he pursued them, and he took the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmunna, and routed the whole army. That means he took care of them, and he did away with them. He, did the, he got the whole army. Now it's just the two kings left. That's it. Gideon just wiped out all the Midianites that had been oppressing Israel for the past seven years. He got them all. It's done. You know why? Because God told him so back in Judges 6.16, he said, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. God promised, and now it came to pass, didn't it? Friends, did God demonstrate his power? Did he not do it? Well, sure he did. That's good to see. Did God keep his promise? Of course he did. So now I want to ask you, does this help your faith to know that when God promises, God delivers? When God says, I'm going to do something, he does it. Now, you may have promises of God known to you in your life that you haven't seen the victory yet. And why are you not seeing the victory yet? Maybe because you're listening to everybody else and not what he said. Time to throw a switch, isn't it? I got to start listening to what God says and stop listening to everybody else. So Gideon got these two kings, just like he said he would. But did you see how he caught them? It says he attacked the camp while they felt secure. He attacked the camp while they felt secure. It was all over for them at a time when they least expected it. (laughs) Friends, Jesus is coming at a time when we least expect it. And those that feel secure, well, I've got my money, I've got my career, I've got my big house, I've got all my guns, I've got my guns, gold, and government, the three G's that I trust in, I feel nice and secure. He's coming. And he's coming with judgment, and it's going to pop on you when you least expect it. But it was all over for them. They didn't expect it. Judges 8 and 13. Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from battle, from the ascent of Heres, and he caught a young man of the men of Succoth and interrogated him. And he wrote down for him the leaders of Succoth and its elders, 77 men. Then he came to the men of Succoth and said, Here are Zeba, listen to this, here are Zeba and Zalmunna, 
about whom you ridiculed me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in your hand that we should give bread to your weary men? And he took the elders of the city and thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them he taught the men of Succoth. Then he tore down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. Were they not warned? Were they not warned? They were warned. Now, I've already given a warning that Jesus is coming. There's a lot of people that may hear me on the radio or YouTube, I don't know, and you're acting in your sin. You feel secure. You're thinking everything's all right. And I'm telling you, the Lord is going to come back with judgment, and you're going to feel like everything's just fine until He gets here. And when He gets here, it's too late. That's why it's your opportunity to repent and get right with Jesus right now. All people have been saying He's coming back for centuries. Uh, you may have your last day today, for all you know. Three days ago, A friend of mine from high school was in a car wreck and died. I'm going to his funeral this week. It's over for him. It's done. Who says it's going to be centuries for you? It could be any time. But judgment came. They were warned. And at any time, at absolutely any time, these men could have said, hold on, wait a minute, you're right. You're right. Sorry, we'll help, we'll give bread. But they never did. They were unrepentant, unsupportive to the very, very end. And now judgment has been executed. And so I want to ask you a question here. Do you think that Gideon just happened to run into this man of Succoth, this young man? Do you think he just happened to bump into him? Or did God deliberately have this man positioned in Gideon's path so that Gideon could get the leader's names to make an example out of them before killing the rest of Israel's enemy? I think God placed this man right in Gideon's path. I don't believe in accidents like that. No such thing as coincidence. I believe God is in complete control of everything, and that's why he bumped into this kid, okay? Let me read on. Judges 8 and 18 says, And he said to Zeba and Zalmunna, What kind of men were they whom you killed at Tabor? So they said, As you are, so were they. Each one resembled the son of a king. Then he said, They were my brothers. I see why he's so mad. I see why Gideon's so hot. They were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had let them live, I would not kill you. And he said to Jether, his firstborn, rise, kill them. But the youth would not draw his sword, for he was afraid because he was still a youth. So Ziba and Zelmunna said, rise yourself and kill us. For as a man is, so is his strength. So Gideon rose and killed Ziba and Zelmunna and took the crescent ornaments that were on their camel's necks. Apparently, Gideon kept these two kings alive. you got to think of the, the order of events. He let these two kings remain alive to personally witness the finality of their kingdom's destruction. He made them watch. But this incident at Tabor here that Gideon asks them about, it's not recorded in the Bible except for here in Judges 8, so we don't know much about it. All we know about it is that these kings commanded killings that murdered Gideon's brothers. Now, Deuteronomy gives an avenger of blood. I've taught on this before. It gives permission to the avenger of blood to kill those who deliberately and sinfully, ungodly commit willful murder. Now, it's likely because of this that Gideon's brothers did not die in a battle. They died in their homes or in their fields just doing normal everyday life. And these Midianites swept through and just killed them. 
Now remember, these Midianites severely oppressed Israel for years. That doesn't mean they just looked at them funny when they walked through. It means they stole their food, they killed them at will, they did what they wanted. Now vengeance is granted. So Gideon asked his young son to kill these kings for two reasons. Because one, it would have been an insult on these kings to be killed by a boy. Also, the second thing, Gideon was trying to pass the honor to his son to teach his son that a severe death is exactly the kind of judgment that such evil deserves. He wanted his son to understand this. This kind of evil deserves a death like this. But the boy wasn't ready to do it. He couldn't do it, so Gideon did it himself. And then taking the crescent moon ornaments off the camels as spoils of war was probably, like I said, crescent moon shapes. It was probably ornaments on the camels that represented the royalty for those kings. That was their camels. He wanted to get rid of every symbol that had anything to do with that kingdom. Get rid of it. I'm even taking the ornaments off these camels. I'm not going to send the camels off and somebody will see those ornaments and go, oh, that, isn't that for the Midianite kings? He wanted this kingdom to be done, gone, and forgotten with, forgotten about. So he took them. But now I want to ask you a question, because we saw the men of Succoth and Peniel, they were not friends of God in this case, they were being friends of the world. I want to ask you a question, I want to ask you, are you a friend of God? Well, of course I am. Well, wait a minute. (laughs) It comes with a little more to it than that. James 4 and 4 says this, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It's not just God, I'll work with you later. You are an enemy. You ever had an actual enemy who was harshly against you? You try to friend yourself up with the world, you're an enemy of God. But this works in reverse too. Whoever wants to be a friend of God makes himself an enemy to the world. And I know some of you have felt this, but whenever the world gets mad at you for walking in righteousness, don't blow your top. Maintain your self-control. Titus 2 and 11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly. That means self-control. Keep a lid on it. Keep yourself chilled. Maintained. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. To be a friend of God, you can't make a priority out of trying to appease the world. See, in a lot of people, they will do everything to appease the world. They will not try to be a friend of God. That's sad. Succoth and Peniel tried to appease the world, and it cost them what? Pretty much everything. You can't play in the middle. Will you give bread to my army? Well, that depends. They're trying to play the middle. Pick a side, get on it, and stand there. You can't play the middle, and you can't play one side or the other at will. You're on one side or the other. And Gideon put these men before a choice. It's God or it's the world. They had to make a decision. Now, these men should have considered the victories that Gideon was experiencing, and that those victories should have helped them make the right decision. Today. I'm putting that same decision in front of you. It's God or the world. It's God or the world. That's your choice. You need to make it. And if you will look at the testimony of my life, the victories that I have in my life through Jesus, that should influence you into making the right decision. 
That's why we have to maintain our self-control. Because when you offer people God or the world, Jesus' salvation or not, they're going to look at your life before they make that decision. And if you go popping off all, all, the, all the time, they're not going to want this Jesus if you're claiming victory. Well, if you got victory in Him, why are you blowing up all the time? If you look at the testimony of my life and see the victories, that should help you make the right decision. It should have helped Succoth and Penuel make the right decision. Hey, aren't you the guy that's been kicking all the Midianites everywhere? Okay, yeah, we'll give you the bread, man. We want to be behind that. They just didn't want it. Well, Ray, everything in my life is going really good right now. Everything's just fine. I, you know, I'm okay. I mean, you know, you thump the Bible and that's good for you. You go to church, that's good for you. You're this big Christian guy and, and better for you, man. I'm, I'm pleased. I'm glad for you, but things are pretty good for me. Remember, the Midianites' final judgment arrived when they felt secure when they thought everything was okay, when they felt guarded, when they least expected it to happen. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We all got a judgment day coming, and you don't know when it's going to happen, but it will happen. But remember that God put a young man in Gideon's path, someone to blow the lid off their own security. He blew the whole top off their little secure place. God has positioned me in your path to tell you that right now is the time to get right with Jesus Christ today. Well, I'm thinking about it. You need to do it right now. Maybe later. Maybe later means no. Well, I'll get there. I'll get there means no. These guys didn't give bread. That means no. Where's your yes? Stop serving the world. You cannot play both sides. Remember Gideon's faith, how certain he was of victory against the enemy. Friends, we can have that same faith. That same faith. And 2 Corinthians 4.13 says, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus. We just read that God has a way of defeating a sinful enemy. And in the case of our salvation, is that not a good thing? Because our enemy was defeated. That's a good thing for us, that God defeated the enemy. But also remember how Gideon wanted to show his son how a severe death is exactly the kind of judgment that evil brings. Friends, this is why Jesus Christ's crucifixion was so barbaric. Because all of our sin was cast upon Him, and He took what we deserved upon Himself. That's why His death was so barbaric. When I think about Him killing those kings, saying, Son, here's exactly what, a barba- what sin deserves like this, a barbaric death, you think of Jesus Christ. That death was not easy. That was the most miserable death that could have been done, a crucifixion. That's what sin does. Ray, you're scaring me. Good. Let me give you the good news. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. (laughs) Ray, I'm scared. You better get under the blood of the Lamb. What this means, since Jesus offered himself to you, what this means is that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you. 
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.